Hey, this is Dave Perner, and you are listening to the Rock Solid Podcast. Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and joining me today in the Zoom room, you know him as the front man, singer, songwriter, and Grammy Award winning artist from the band Soul Asylum. Please welcome Dave Perner. Dave, how are you doing? Hello, Pat. I'm doing pretty good. Now, Dave, where are you? Uh, I'm in Los Angeles. Where are you located right now? I am in Minneapolis, Minnesota. All right. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. And that's uh, you've been there your whole life. Actually, uh, I lived in New York for a little while and I lived in L.A. for a little while. And then I lived in New Orleans for like 17 years. Oh, wow. I'm back here now. All right. Cool. Who were you under lockdown with all year? Is it just yourself? Are you married? Do you have kids? Now it's just me and my lovely roommate, Kirk Johnson, who's in a band called Run Westy Run and a band called Iffy. And, uh, you know, we drive each other crazy, but he's also a singer and a songwriter. So, and he paints pictures. We have a lot in common, as much as I hate to admit it. <laughs> well, that's good because you need to you need to spend it with uh, with people you enjoy. So that's good. Now, let's talk about first thing I want to talk about. We're going to talk about all things Soul Asylum. But number one on my list is your newest album, Hurry Up and Wait, which came out April 17th, 2020, which is almost a year ago, released on Blue Alon Records. And I love this record so much, Dave. I am all in on the the last few records that you've made. They're some of my favorite music that you've made. I really enjoy it. So thank oh, you for that. Cool. And, you know, when this album came out, you know, I would see a lot of stuff, uh, not about this album particularly, but musicians releasing new music during the pandemic. People are like, why are they doing that? They can't go out and tour. They can't promote it. But for me... I think music's the perfect thing to release during the pandemic because you don't have to leave your house to buy it. You can buy it from your home, download it, all that good stuff. And, uh, and we needed it. We needed it this past year. We needed the joy. So thank you for releasing this. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, yeah, we didn't plan it that way. I'll tell you that, you know, right. So we were in, uh, we made it as far as San Diego. We toured all over America, and uh, we had about five shows left on our tour, maybe four. And uh, yeah, I got a knock on the door in San Diego. Tour's over, and that was it. And that was it. <laughs> yeah, that was it. So it was very frustrating. I had a book that came out, and the record, and you know, we couldn't go out and promote it which is what we do basically you know so that was frustrating so i'm glad that uh you know 
you got to hear it. <laughs> well, you'll be, you know, look, this, when you do finally go back out and tour again, this will be the record that you'll still be promoting. Uh, I don't know if I should say hopefully or not, but, uh, we're working on a lot of new material. Oh, good. Well, that's good. And, uh, you know, we, a friend of mine was like, don't you, uh, get excited about the shows that are coming up? And I'm like, I'm sure they'll be canceled. And sure enough, they get rescheduled and then they get canceled. And we're already into 2022 <laughs> looking at when our next gig is going to be. I don't even know. So, uh, yeah, that part of it is is very mysterious. Now, what about any of these streaming gigs that people have been doing? Have you guys done that? Yes, we did uh, one from a studio and we did one from First Avenue. And uh, I think they both went fairly well. So, but not the same stuff to do. And, you know, now we've got this, uh, where is it? We got an EP coming out. So that's exciting. Is that the, is that born free with the acoustic versions of songs from hurry up and wait? Yeah. Yeah. I down, I, I, I downloaded that from blue alone. It's great. If I ask for forgiveness, does it mean that I did it? Is it really that bad? Am I that hard to live with? If I told you I loved you, would you hold it against me? If I told you I loved you, would you hold it against me? I've seen every shade of gray. I can't wait another Your voice, your voice has not lost anything over the years. You still, you still sound, you still sound great. Why? Thank you. This, uh, this album is uh, co-produced by John Fields. He's produced the last man since Silver Lining. He's been working with you guys. Correct. Tell me a little bit about John Fields. Tell me what he brings to the table. And is he like a 
almost like a fifth member of Soul Asylum at this point? Well, he actually came out and played bass on tour with us okay. uh, when Carl died. Um, we had just finished making that record. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the funny thing about that is that I ran into John a long time ago and he said, I want to put you and Michael Bland in a room together. And that was before I, I realized that Michael Bland was available. So that's part of the connection is, is, is that Michael and John worked together quite a bit before I worked with John and it's extremely fluid. It's really fast. And, uh, at some point or another, John was was um, playing a little bit of bass on things, mm -hmm. and he's very uh, versatile and uh, just super talented guy. So w when we work with John, things go really fast, and I really like that. It's kind of like uh, you know just trying to try trying to capture it while it's still fresh or or whatever the case may be. There's not a lot of uh, you know, sitting around with a deli tray and <laughs> hanging out with the uh, NR guys or whatever. So do you think, is this, is he going to be your producer for, for always now? Do you think this is the guy for you? Cause I like what he gets out of you. The records sound great. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it works so good, which is obviously why we keep doing it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, I think we'll always work with John. I I, I think we, we need to probably experiment with some other kinds of things. I mean there's a there's always a there's always a play in my head about about the digital versus analog thing. Mm -hmm. And you know, I continually fantasize about making an all analog record, which is well, basically just expensive. <laughs> I was going to say in this day and age, analog is probably more expensive than digital because digital is the way we do it or the way you guys do it. Oh yeah. And you know, people get, I mean, that's been going on my whole music life is that people, people get, uh, adjusted to the new thing. I mean, the first person that I remembered having this happen with was, uh, well, it was pre-digital, but it was Andy Wallace, and he wanted to mix uh, the record on an SSL board, and I wanted him to mix a record, the record on a, on a Neve board, and he finally changed to the Neve board just to satisfy me, and it immediately sounded right to me. Watch 
So, I mean, you know, that was a long time ago, but I started to realize that I was here in a certain way, you know, and just what sounds right to me is, you know, it's it's tubes and it's analog and, you know, so, you know, maybe someday, (laughs) someday we'll get back to the good old expensive stuff and which uh which record was mixed on the neve board and that, of course that's the neve board that uh, was famous for the from sound city studios and uh the record i was referring to was um uh uh, uh let your dim light shine That's my favorite Soul Asylum okay. album. Right on. Yeah, that's a great one. So this album kicks off with a song called The Beginning, which uh, is apropos. Just a great tune. Just uh, what a way to kick off an album. song last on the record of course you that's did how dumb i am you know <laughs> ending with the beginning i don't know if that means you're dumb maybe that's just your sense of humor is that the, the type of thing that you would think yeah, is funny to put much, it at the end yeah. yeah who's in tell us uh, tell the mm-hmm. listeners who's currently in soul asylum because from the old days you're the one uh lone member standing uh yeah i mean me and michael have been together for years now mm-hmm. um and i ryan smith has been in the band for the last couple records and ryan is an amazing guitar player he's a guitar teacher and now a word from our sponsors here rock solid listeners i hope you're enjoying today's episode I just wanted to interrupt here real quick and tell you a little bit about the RS Pro microphone from Majority Audio. This is the ideal microphone kit for podcasters, gamers, and musicians alike. 
The RS Pro provides everything you need for high quality, crisp, clear recordings for streaming, game commentary, and vocals for music or podcast creation. It's so simple. Plug and play. The RS Pro condenser microphone comes with plug and play functionality, which means there is no need for any additional software or install steps. I'm not kidding. You plug this in, you select it through your Zoom preferences, and you're recording. In fact, I'm recording with it right now. Plus, the RS Pro comes with a USB cable so you can easily connect to most computers and laptops. In addition to all the great things I just told you, the RS Pro comes with a range of accessories and features to enhance your recording experience. The microphone includes various covers and filters, plus a cardioid pickup pattern to reduce unwanted ambient noise and produce better vocals. You can also take your RS Pro on the go as the microphone and attachments all fit handily into a a lightweight, hard carrying case. Look, this is an amazing thing. It's reasonably priced, and right now, if you go to Amazon and use the code 10ROCKSOLID, you can get 10% off. I don't know what you're waiting for. Go do it. The RS Pro microphone from Majority Audio. Now, back to the show. He has 60 students, and he couldn't be... uh a nicer, more creative, funner person to work with. Um, We got Jeremy Tapero playing bass. Uh, I think around the time the COVID thing hit, we realized that we weren't going to be able to get Winston to fly into Minneapolis to work on these demos and stuff. So we're pretty much a very Minneapolis band all over again. Yeah. You know, we've had few. We had a guy from England for a while. We had a couple guys from New York. Blah blah blah. But yeah, we're all we're all back, and uh, <laughs> it's been a long winter already. <laughs> and no matter what members are in the band, you continue to fly the Soul Asylum flag because then rather be Dave Perner as a solo artist because there's value in the name Soul Asylum. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much synonymous with my songwriting. Right. I just prefer to not be a solo artist. I've always wanted to be part of a band. Mm-hmm. And it was good for me to make a solo record and see what that was like. Getting back with the band after that was 
like the analogy that I use is it was like it's like putting a very comfortable pair of jeans on. So you know, it's it's fun to experiment uh, outside of a four P. So you like being in the band situation. So f- even though you're the leader of the band, it's uh, everyone has a say when it, when it comes to being in the studio, choosing songs, all that kind of stuff. Yes, absolutely. I mean, to that effect, I've uh, implied quite a bit of democracy on the band. <laughs> so there's a lot of, I don't know, what do you think? There's a lot of, you guys have to pick your favorite songs that you like of the songs that I've written because I want you to be excited about playing them. And uh, yeah, pretty much everything is kind of decided as a group. And uh, that's the way I like it because I I don't want to be the guy out in the middle of nowhere going, well, this is my idea and I'm, you know. Right. (laughs) I'm sorry, I was wrong, but. Now we're now I'm responsible for everyone's misery. Everyone has to be happy individually so that the band can be happy. Yeah, you know, if you, everyone's a part of the the process of, of you know. I don't want to be out there with a bunch of people that are just going along with it. You know, right. everybody's involved. You know? uh, a couple other tracks I love off the new album is "I Love If I Told You" and "I Love." Uh, make her laugh. Talking to my manager yesterday, and I was telling him that, uh, well, we agreed that uh, Make Her Laugh was kind of overlooked. So I agree. So thanks. There's another vote of confidence yeah. for that. There's, there's, uh, there's three of us now. So um, <laughs> 12, solo, it's 12 studio albums with Soul Asylum, one solo album. Let's go way back to the first record, 1984, Say What You Will. You're uh, you're fresh out of high school at this point, 1984, just a couple years out of high school. What's it like to be going into the studio with Bob Mould? I assume that he was uh, someone you looked up to. Uh, yeah, I mean, I specifically remember trying to do. I was, I think, a freshman and at the University of Minnesota. And I remember being in a van with my notebook, trying to balance. I had my songs over here and my homework over here <laughs> and everything just, everything just went that way. And, uh, 
so yeah, I, I had no idea that I would. Uh, well, I mean, in a perfect world, I would be still doing this today, which apparently I still am. You still so. are. <laughs> what was you? What so, were, can I ask? What were you studying your freshman year of college? I was a political science major. And what did you? What was? What did you think you would do with that if you weren't? rock star oh you know president or something <laughs> like that you know some something light with not much stress uh yeah i mean i i don't know i have no idea I, I it's just what i was interested in and uh i'm not exactly sure why i i think i like the dynamic and i like the the idea of political science, mm-hmm. but it almost seems like an oxymoron when I say it now. <laughs> well, and again, at 18 years old, when you go into college, I don't think any 18 year old really has a clue. So you just choose something and you just, you see what happens. Yeah. I wish I did. I mean, I, I, th- I think that's how the people that get through that seem to know what they want to do and that seems to help and yes i was a a lost liberal arts student that did not know i had no direction whatsoever so at the same time you didn't know what you wanted to do because you chose your book of lyrics and you chose being in a band and that's uh that's kind of true. that panned out pretty well so the first record say what you will you're on uh twin tone records pretty much an independent label out of minneapolis how did you guys get signed? Were they, they just see you um, at a club and offer you a record deal or to distribute the record? How's that go? Well, I think we were right in the middle of it as far as the Minneapolis music scene mm-hmm. was happening at, at the time. And whether it's the replacements or who's or do or, you know, uh, 20 other bands that I could probably name. Uh, we all went to each other's shows and it was a really pretty tight knit community of, uh, local music. I mean, in retrospect, it seems romantic to be honest. I'm sure that it sucked. (laughs) 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 Uh, You know, uh, so yeah, we, I, I think we were playing at, mm, what was the name of that club? Uh, we were playing, we were opening for the replacements in, uh, Madison, Wisconsin. And that's when Pete Jesperson said, Hey, you want to do a record with twin tone? And I, I very specifically remember the how exciting that was for me. And I remember talking to Carl about it and going, you know, we we fucking made it. You know, <laughs> this is this is it. This is big time, man. You know, We're on the same label as the suburbs. You know, 
I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that has to be exciting for a kid. I mean, you know, you haven't made it yeah. yet, but I mean, a record yeah, deal, that's, record. that's amazing. Uh, and yeah, now it's actually record, you know. Now, it sounds like you're telling me that the music scene that you came up in there, it was more supportive than competitive. It sounds like everyone was pulling for each other to make it. Is that true? It certainly was for me. Okay. You know, and uh, I, maybe there's there was more competition going on than I was aware of, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I would hear things like, oh, who's do or the replacement. It's like, you know, like, are you a Beatles fan or a Stones fan? It was one of those kind of things where it's like, well, you can be, we can like both bands, you know, so that's okay, you know, or whatever. But, uh, yeah, it seemed very self-supporting. It it's really did seem like if you played a gig in Minneapolis, half the crowd, and the crowd could be 20 people. Mm-hmm. There are other guys and bands and girls and, and, and that part of it was, you know, really had a great infrastructure. I, I've never used that word in that <laughs> thing, but yeah. That's nice though. That's nice to hear that. That's what you want. Uh, I came uh, from a stand-up comedian background and uh, that's a, uh, that's a cutthroat. Uh, everyone wants the stage time. They don't want you to succeed, but I'm glad that, uh, you're coming up in a new band. You guys were all supportive. Now this this album, say what you will. This is um, your singing's much more aggressive on this. It's really a it's really a punk album. Yeah, to, to my ears, very out of tune. I mean, to what uh, to what eventually happened in in the more commercial years of Soul Asylum. This is much much different from uh, Grave Dancers Union, to say the least. I mean. Great songs, though. Uh, Long Day, Black and Blue. And then we have a song like Stranger, which has horns on it. Indeed, my saxophone <laughs> debut and finale, if I remember correctly. I was a trumpet player from third grade, and I've recently been noticing that a lot of the music that I write, the melody sounds kind of like a horn part. But uh, yeah, that's how I got started, was playing the trumpet. And then I switched to, I think, saxophone in junior year in high school because like you know 
Bruce Springsteen and Bob Seger, <laughs> like that. Had, right. uh, it was closer to a, a rock thing, you right. know. And then the guy that was the other trumpet player who we ended up living together, um, he had an older brother who was my trumpet teacher, and it, he. His older brother lent me Jimi Hendrix, Are You Experienced? And that kind of put me over the edge. I just kind of like, I screw it. I'm going to play guitar. You know, why am I trying to get closer with a brass instrument? And, uh, yeah, that's what really kind of turned my head around. That and the Ramones, when I started understanding how doable that that could be, it, it really made you know, orchestrated jazz music seemed complicated. <laughs> now, this album, was Bob Mould trying to just capture the way you guys sounded live at the time? Was that the goal for this record? Well, I think so. I mean, uh, that's what we'd always hear is like no one, you know, we couldn't capture our live sound. Our shows were one thing and our records were another. So, like, uh, you know... I, I don't know. I mean, by the time we did a record with Steve Jordan, we were back. It, we were kind of going a circle of how live the music is going to be performed. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, I remember walking across the street uh, by Orfolk Jokopis, the local record store across the street from the CC Club, where all the punkers hang, hang out and whatever. And uh, Bob said, I want to produce your record. And I just remember going, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, and I said, sure, whatever that means. I, why not? And uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was good timing as far as him just being a little bit more experienced than we were in. <laughs> And, and, you know, bold. Him and, and Grant were actually, I was supposed to have dinner with Greg Norton last night. I want to talk about, you brought up Steve Jordan, who uh, produced 1990s and the horse they rode in on. guys worked with a lot of stellar people you know as producers lenny k ed stasium steve jordan uh these talented folks must have really believed in soul asylum i i mean you know all that stuff is is kind of an eye-opener when you're coming up and uh especially i mean steve mostly just introduced us to this whole world of 
musicians that, that we were not aware of. And it was kind of connected to Keith Richards at the time, but it was Charlie Drayton and that Sterling Campbell and all these amazing kind of New York musicians that, you know, we, we didn't, we didn't know about that when, when we were growing up in Minneapolis, <laughs> we didn't, we didn't know rock and roll could get that good basically. So, you know, opening for Keith Richards was probably one of my favorite tours I've ever been on because it was probably the only tour I've ever been on where I watched the band play every night because they were just so good, the players in the band. He taught us a lot about just playing and and getting you know getting real with it right now. And we're we're talking about the expensive winos, which would have been Waddy Wachtel and Charlie Drayton and Steve Jordan and of course Keith. Yeah, yeah. That, that would uh, that would be a show I would want to watch every night too. So I kind of feel like these first five records, this was kind of like your college, and then you guys graduate from college. And you move, uh, you move on to finally having some uh, national recognition, big time, and some chart success with Grave Dancers Union in 1992. And you also get signed with Columbia Records. Uh, you move from, I think it went Twin Tone, A&M, and now you're on Columbia. What's it like when you're working with these bigger labels as opposed to Twin Tone? Well, uh, I continue to be kind of surprised at how benign I managed to be and how kind of um, incorruptible we, we were in a weird sort of way. We just, we had already kind of established who we were and what we were doing. And you really couldn't, I mean, by the time we got to Columbia, I mean, they, they knew they couldn't change the band. Right. The, the reason why they wanted the band was because we had our own organic fan base, you know? And, uh, so to that matter, it, it's nice to have the facility to go spend two months in New York or LA and make a record. Um, in retrospect, now that I've learned from all these great producers and great people along the way, I mean, we wasted a lot of money, you know, you so, bring the Minneapolis band out to New York City and, you know, you're just money is just draining out of the 
budget or whatever, but yeah, we never really, uh, it still kind of seems like we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into somehow. <laughs> well, uh, for me, uh, like, and, and like a lot of people, Grave Dancers Union, that was when I came into finding the band. I didn't, sadly, I didn't know about your earlier records. I had to discover those after Grave Dancers Union and then go back. But um, so to me, you were like a brand new band. I saw you on MTV and I was like, well, who, you know, I heard somebody shove and I'm like, who, who are these guys? This is amazing. Hello, speak up. Is there somebody So that's when I came into uh, into my love of Soul Asylum. What was it like working with Michael Beanhorn? Is that someone that the the label recommends to you? And when I say recommend, they say you're going to work with this guy, or do you get do you have any say in choosing at that point when you're with a big label? Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. I think that. I mean, I came around to Michael Beinhorn by, I mean, every, everything was pretty, um, like, oh, let's, you know, we're going to make a video, you know, now I'm going to watch 20 different directors reels. And with Michael, I, I was listening to producer after producer after producer and uh, when I listened to his, I, I guess I, it's not a demo tape, but it's a, it's a his real or his whatever you want to call it compilation yes. of the things that he has done. It really it really jumped out at me as as far as how just good it sounded, and uh, I didn't really know his work before that. I'd had a Material record. He was mm -hmm. in a band called Material. But I was not aware of uh, Chili Peppers and Violent Femmes. His work with them. Yeah, I, I, I didn't really know about that side of it. Um, so it just kind of clicked. I mean, he was very passionate about wanting to do the record, and uh, he's very challenging. I think he has a very high standard. Okay. And, it really has a, a great year. So remember we spent, I don't know, five days at a studio. I think it was the magic shop. And there was like a, like a screw loose in a vent somewhere or something. And he, he just was like, what is going on? And he couldn't <laughs> understand it. And we had to move 
to a different studio and you know I want to hear the honk, you know, say that honk. I want the guitars to have that honk. It just stuff like that. You just had to get, things had to be just right, which is kind of counterintuitive to a punk rock band sometimes. But it was certainly, uh, you know, a, a higher level of expectation as far as, well, that was pretty good, but you can do it better, you know. on a playground trying to push each other down see the crowd gather around nothing attracts a crowd It's not so much like that anymore. We don't really pick things apart. Right. But at the time, we were still kind of learning how to do whatever it is that we do. Now, now let me ask you this. Um, this album is a, it's a more, com- for lack of a better term, it's a more commercial sounding record than the previous Soul Asylum albums. But you just brought in the songs that you wrote, or were you trying to write commercial material? I'm I'm going to say just from talking to you for half an hour that no, you these were the songs you wrote at the time. Yeah, I was in a bad place. I I I was uh, basically trying to get away from. Uh, I thought I was going deaf and I really kind of went into a downward spiral and I started playing the acoustic guitar and then we just kind of made these demos at the practice space and that's what got us. I went out to New York, you know, with the cassette tape and went to different record labels, like four or five different labels. And, uh, yeah, it just it was kind of what came out, and uh, it was it was different because it was more acoustic, yeah. you know. Um, but there, yeah, there's very little meddling from the label. I mean, it's just never really happened. Well, that's good because but, I I would have assumed with Columbia maybe there was a little bit more, you know, meddling. But you're telling me no, so that's cool. So when you get signed to Columbia, you've been making records for eight years now. You pr- does it still feel like you're you're starting over again? Because uh, no offense, but you you haven't broken through yet. You know what I'm saying? You you know that. Are you still look? Are you guys still looking for success? Like you've made it in that you are a working band and making records and touring, but are you, are you still, is your desire at that point still to have big hit songs? Well, I don't know so much about big hit songs, mm-hmm. but my desire is 
you know, definitely to have the people in the band uh, get paid. Right, uh, right. So much, you know, flying by the seat of your pants after all these years, you know, nothing is is guaranteed. Right. But, uh, you know, they have families and stuff. You yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a big commitment, uh, you know, and it gets a little more complicated, I suppose, as you get, you know, you get a kid or whatever the case right. may be. Um, so, you know, uh, if my, if my people, it sounds weird saying that. <laughs> I know what you mean. People know what people are being taken care right. of and they're not miserable. That makes a huge difference to me for whatever it's worth. I don't know if it changes the music one way or another. I don't think it ever has. And I don't, I don't think it ever will. Cause I can only, you, you know, know, write what I write. You do what so, you do. Right. And, and if people yeah. enjoy, well, you know, with this record, people really take to it. It's it goes gold, amazing songs on here. Like I said, somebody to shove, black gold, and of course. for best rock song. So you, were you happy with the final product? Yeah. I mean, you know, I have very specific memories about going back out to mix the record and going, wow, what, you know, have I created a monster? Is this good? Is it, you know, it seems like there's something to it. You know, so, you know, I was getting enough feedback that, that people seemed interested in it. Yeah. And uh, that was, you know, really a kind of a first. Right. As far as people going, oh, gosh, I think you got something here. Like the manager who came on board was like, "There, that's it. I want to do this. Let's, you know. So the people were hearing potential in the record that I was not aware of at all. It just was another record for me. Right. And, uh, people were reacting to it in a way that they seemed impressed. Yeah. <laughs> but then uh, after the record comes out, there has to be a change because m- more people are showing up at shows. Uh, you're getting invited to do 
TV shows like Late Night with David Letterman and all that stuff comes with the success of a big record. So in that way, you're you're feeling like, oh, this is this is different. Correct. Well, yeah, I mean, you get really busy, yeah, really fast and you're just always doing something. And, you know, there's there's an upside to it and there's a side of it where you're just having your picture taken and you're like, I didn't sign up for this, you know, and there's that part of it. But really, I mean, to me, there was no, there wasn't a lot of, you know, patting each other on the back right. because once things start to roll, you got to just go and you're just, you're just, you know, you're on the road constantly and you're always doing some radio interview when you don't want to be doing one and et cetera, et cetera. You know? God, I hope you're not feeling that right now. No. <laughs> um, so, I have nowhere to go. So, well, that's good for me, but not good for you. Uh, what? Uh, so, yeah, when success hits, you, you don't just sit back and take a break. Now you're working even harder is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It got crazy yeah just crazy exhausting kind of just madness uh, another song i want to mention keep it up i love that song i'm down here waiting on a shattered heart put it back together it can't be apart if i Nineteen ninety three, then you get to do MTV's Unplugged, and you get to you get to perform to Sir with Love with Lulu. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I just watched that the other day. I hadn't seen it since since it probably aired, and that was that's fantastic. How does something like that come about? Well, I, I think it was kind of a coincidence. Uh, I remember uh, 
Well, we had been covering the song for a while. Yes. And we were – Natalie Merchant was also doing an unplugged thing at the same time. And I, and I think I, – I don't know. Lulu liked our version of, of To Serve With Love, I guess. And, uh, yeah, she, she just decided to do it. There wasn't a lot of coaxing. I think she was kind of, uh, m- maybe making some sort of a reappearance in the, in the, you know, trying to get in gotcha. front of the younger audience yes. or, or whatever the case may be. Um, that makes sense. But yeah, she was very, very sweet. And it was really an unexpected experience that was great you know i just yeah i remember the song from when i was a kid you know yeah i wish uh i wish they would have released your mtv unplugged as a as a cd or album or whatever you want to call it in 2021 because uh you guys really had a great show that night i loved it yeah it's uh, there's so many things like that that i just didn't want to do because everyone else was doing it right like behind the music. I just refused to do it. Mm -hmm. It just felt like a nail in the fucking coffin, you know, or whatever. But, uh, I mean, you were still relevant at the time. You were still, you were still at the height of relevance at the time. So why would you, why would you want to do behind the music? It sounds like something that people that are on the decline do. So I think that was the right choice. (laughs) Right. That was the right choice. Oh my God. Now you're going to show this arc of our band like you showed this arc of every other band but oh my god then it was bad then it was good then it was good then it was bad. it's the same arc every time there's there's yeah. drugs and there's this and there's that and yeah. there's you know failure then success and re- it's the same thing uh yeah. even even though i watched that show like a crazy person it's the same thing and i'm glad you guys didn't do it so 1995 rolls around um does the label want you to work with Beinhorn again? Are they trying? Do they want to capture that success again? They did kind of. I think they, I think they were like, just go with what works, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I'm glad you didn't because Butch Vig is amazing. and it was kind of like a long lost brother kind of a thing. I mean, my parents met at Madison and, and which is from that part of town. And we really kind of hit it off right away. I think the first night we got together with Butch, we all ended up on stage together, jamming out to something, but uh, it just seemed 
it seemed closer to home, I, I think. Yeah. You know, it wasn't going going to New York or LA and working with people that seemed eccentric to us. It's like Butch seemed very down to earth and yeah, he is. <laughs> well, again, Let Your Dim Light Shine is my favorite Soul Asylum album. Just top to bottom, every track. I mean, coming off of, you know, your your big success, this album might feel like uh, oh, you have to, you know, produce that. And and artistically, I think it's I think it's better. That's I don't know how you feel about it. You're closer to it. But as a music fan, I just love it. Use some peace of mind. Sweetheart, yeah, kills me. I wrote that, a lot of that record. Yeah, I mean the songwriting's. I wrote so great. many songs for that record. Some which I think were very good that were left off the record because I was just writing a lot. Uh, you know, trying to follow up this record that you know. So it was very. Uh, yeah, I just I wrote a ton of songs, and uh, I wasn't. You know, I wasn't really aware of what was going on as far as wanting. I just wanted to outdo myself. And uh, I think somewhere someone was going, well, why don't they just make another song like Runaway Train? And that was the part that I I kind of <laughs> didn't understand. <laughs> it's like, I already made that song. <laughs> like, I just do another one like that. And that's kind of where the the caveat right. kind of comes in. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Cause once you have this one, this big success, then they just want you to do grave dancers union part two or whatever. But, um, yeah. this is just, uh, I mean, misery goes top 20. The video for just like anyone with Claire Danes is so good. I mean, I don't, you, you probably, you seem like a guy that might not like making videos, but that's a great video into the outhouse the cold night breathes into her face the flies are standing still now the moon it spills through the place and she starts wondering what it's like to be like by everyone and like everyone be just like anyone and just wants to be so just the darkness her fingers touch the porcelain and that yeah, got a lot of play 
I don't like making videos at all, but, uh, but back then you had to. Yeah. And it's like the, in particular, just, you know, working with people like Tony K and Claire Danes and stuff like that. I mean, I had been exposed to a lot of, uh, film, filmmaking type things. Right. And, uh, you know, and then there's a drone shot in that video, like way before they had drone shots. So they had to hire a guy that came with this elaborate helicopter with a camera on it. And, uh, and watching Claire work was, was great. I mean, I just, it was very, um, it was very personable kind of an experience as far as, trying to kind of get, you know, squeeze whatever you can out of the song. Right. And, try to, you know, do something besides, you know, whatever, chicks and bikinis. Right. Yeah. There's not, you know. there's not a lot of times when you would watch a music video back then and you would be moved emotionally by whatever story they were trying to fit into your song. But with this video, you really did feel, you know, for Claire and for what was happening in that video. It's, it's terrific. So you had to be happy with that one, of course. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, uh, something very, um, watching, watching the director trying to get Claire to cry was an experience for me that was, uh, I don't have anything to compare that to. And I'm like, wow, they're they're really going for it, you know. And this is real acting yeah. and stuff like that, and, and uh, yeah. So there's been a lot of kind of experiences in production and things like that that I I really enjoy. I mean, I do. I have made a few videos myself, and that's that's fun enough, right? You know, <laughs> I, I'm a movie fan and all that, so whatever. Well, let me mention just a few songs on this album that are fantastic. Promise is Broken, Tell Me When, Hope's Up. Just just a great record. So we're moving on. We, uh, 1998, Candy from a Stranger. So was there was an album that you guys recorded that was shelved by the label. Is that true? Is that a rumor? Is that true? Uh, well, I don't know if it was shelved, but we... That sounds a little harsh when I say it's shelved. But but yeah, they didn't want it. They they said start over. So we we recorded almost the whole record with Matt Hyde in L.A. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, they weren't hearing what they wanted to hear. And uh, it's, they said try again. You know, so we had to start all over again. And uh, it was pretty. It was, Taxing is the expression that comes to mind. Is it? Is it? It's kind of stressful. Because I wasn't getting it. You know what I mean? I just wasn't understanding what it was that I was supposed to be doing. Like, it didn't register in my punk rock brain that the idea was to make money. (laughs) It just never (laughs) occurred to me. You know, I was on some sort of, I don't know what, you know, a purity trip that was really benign to I, I could do when I think about it now I'm like uh, I think that a lot of these people were just like well we got a lot of uh, expectations for these guys why don't they just do what it is that 
makes us money. Right. Yeah. Well, you, <laughs> you have a, cre- you have a creative brain, you have a creative mind. So that's how you're thinking. You just want to emote and write and record that, is it is it soul crushing, for lack of a better term, when the business suits are, are trying to say that what you just created is not good enough? They don't want to put it out there. I mean, I, that would seem like it would make you rebel. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> and I'm just like, I don't care what you think. Yeah. You know, I don't know what you want. I, it's you know, what are you gonna do? Throw more money at it? To, you know, I don't know. You know, how many songs, Dave? Do you remember? Do you know how many songs uh, did make it onto "Candy from a Stranger" from the original uh, album that was rejected, so to speak? Yeah, there was probably maybe four different songs. Okay, it's enough to make you stay. It's enough to make you go away But you don't understand How I'm feeling You don't understand No, no It's enough To make you sick It's enough to make you Wanna quit But you don't understand How I'm feeling You don't understand So that's really starting from scratch, pretty much. Yeah, it was fairly misguided, you know. I mean, we went down to Florida, and yeah, it's not a lot of great. Not a lot of great memories. Yeah, it's just a lot of frustration, a lot of struggling, and well, not really flailing away kind of stuff. Well, I do like, I do love, I love many songs on this album, including "No Time for Waiting." And I just want to I just want to throw out there for people the most recent albums from Soul Asylum 2012 Delayed Reaction 2016 Change of Fortune and of course the newest album from 2020 Hurry Up and Wait so everyone go get these albums uh you can follow the band at Soul Asylum on Twitter and you can go to soulasylum.com for all things about Soul Asylum and uh Dave, thank you so much for giving me this hour. It was cool to see you. It was cool to chat with you. You are, uh, you're an honest, gracious person, and I appreciate it. And continued success well, to you. And my Dave, pleasure, Pat. And Dave, I always you do, oh. I do a play, I do a play out song at the end of the episode. Uh, what song from the new album would you like me to use as our play out song? Or it can be any Soul Asylum song, but I figure you probably want it to be from hurry up Hold and on, let me look at, this look at that the vinyl he's holding up the vinyl uh let's go out with uh oh, they're all so good they are i agree <laughs> that's why i let you pick it let's do the silent treatment what do you think about that all right everybody follow uh follow us at rock solid show go to rock solid 
And this is, I love it, the gatefold. Vinyl is back. Thank you, Dave Perner. And everybody, this is Silent Treatment. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Dave. When the silent treatment gets so loud, it's buzzing in my head. Your lips are huge fan of stand-up comedy i gotta tell you <laughs> well i think it's, it just takes more balls than what i do you know there's no guitar to hide behind or anything you know